Well, good morning, church. I said that in the first service, and I, was lo- I have been looking forward to saying that for a long time, and it's just as sweet the second time, to be able to gather together two churches, local manifestations of the body of Christ, coming together to worship as one this morning. I am so thankful uh, and honored and humbled, really, to, to be able to come and preach this morning. Um, I have really enjoyed getting to know Pastor Josh. I don't know. I, I, I just always call you Josh. So if I say Josh, I'm sorry, I'm a PJ, Pastor Josh, I, Pastor Josh. I've just really enjoyed getting to know him over the last 18 months or so. And you can ask the people of Cross Life. I greatly, greatly appreciate what's happening at Center Church. And I've told my people, I said, I believe that God had, has brought uh, these, these men into my life, uh, meaning the leadership, to kind of reignite some things that had started to maybe lay a little dormant because of the day-to-days of being a pastor. And that's pursuing Jesus with everything that I have, making disciples, helping people pursue Jesus by becoming more devoted followers of Jesus and disciples. And, and, and so I just publicly want to thank you and thank the leadership of of Center Church. God has used you in my life, and I'm very thankful for that. So I have enjoyed the relationship that we have, that we have built and, and that is growing. And when they came to me and asked to do this, I was very excited. And then we met again for our planning time, uh, just kind of, how's this going to look? What is it, how's it going to work? All the, the nuts and bolts, right? And that type of thing. And we ultimately decided, you know, the uh, Center Church's praise and worship team will lead the praise and worship time. And, uh, and, and Josh asked me to preach, which I was very thankful for. And, uh, and so he very quickly added, you know, you're my elder. And so I would like to sit under your teaching. I, like, yeah, I could have gone a long time without you saying that, Josh. But that's all right. I get it. I'm a little older. That's all right. I'm very thankful to be here this morning and to be able to preach the Word of God. Turn in your Bibles, please, to John 17. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 23 this morning. Many of you know these verses and you know the context of the larger prayer that we find this in. This is the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays for us. Certainly he prayed it for the disciples that that were there in his midst, but he's praying it for us as, as well. And, and remember what's happening here. This is, this is not long before the night where he, he is arrested, he's betrayed, he's arrested. He, he goes before Herod and Pilate. He, he goes uh, before the tribunal. He's, he's flogged, he's spit upon. And ultimately he hangs on the cross for us. Jesus knows this is coming. This is not going to catch him by surprise. And these are the words that he speaks. These are, these are the, this is on his heart. This is on his mind before he goes to face what he knows he's facing. And he's praying to the Father and he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, what glorious words. 
And we ask this morning that you would speak mightily through your word. This is your word. Help us to never forget that. And your word is, is, is alive. And so we're asking this morning that you will speak through your word, that you will speak through me by the power of your spirit, that you will open up eyes and ears and hearts to hear what you have for each one this morning. Father God, be doing a mighty work in my brothers and sisters this morning for your glory and your honor. We lift this time up to you. Lord Jesus, it is always our desire that your name is exalted above all names. May it be so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, when you, when you preach two sermons, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Like, okay, what, what do you say that you kind of got a chuckle from last time? Do you say that again? Because you're going to get a little chuckle, but I probably will because I like chuckles. But when I was researching for this sermon, you know, you kind of do the deep dive. And so you, you kind of start asking questions, not only of the text, but you just start asking questions in general, right? And so Jesus is praying for his followers, right? He's praying for disciples. And so then you start to wonder how many believers are out there, how many denominations are out there, those types of things. And, and I started thinking about that because we have two different denominations represented here, right? The Christian Missionary Alliance, the Baptist, Southern Baptist. And so here we are. And so I started wondering how many. And there's this one source that I came across, and it said that there are 33,000 Christian denominations. 33, did you hear that? I heard a gasp here. Yeah, you heard it. 33,000 Christian denominations. Now, there's a lot of subsets, right? So you have the Presbyterians and, and all the subsets of Presbyterians and the Methodists and, and so forth. And you have all of these. And as I said earlier, out of 33,000, I think the Baptists and all the subsets makes up about 20,000 of these. All right? But there's a lot of denominations out there. And then when you think about denominations, then you start breaking that up into churches and so forth. And just here on Rio, we have the Methodist Church, Aldersgate here. We have Christian Missionary Alliance. We have Northside Baptist right beside that. We have a Brethren Church, and then we have an Episcopal Church, and then we have a Church of God, and then we have Assemblies of God. That's just on Rio East. There's a lot of churches in Charlottesville. When we start to understand the sheer diversity Within Christianity, we will have a new appreciation for really the magnitude of who and what Jesus is praying for. Again, John 17, 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's he praying for here? All disciples. From those that were around him in that particular setting, all the way up through us, all of those that have submitted to the word, all of those that have heard the good news, submitted their lives to Christ, been born again, us in this room, brothers and sisters, he's speaking to us. Understand that, okay? This isn't just some them out there, the church out there. He's praying for us. And he's praying for all the believers that will come after us until he returns. That's who he's praying for. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people that Jesus is praying for, praying for. But, but think about it. Between him, the Father, and the Spirit, the Godhead, the Trinity, there is no number of people too great for them to do what they need to do and desire to do in and through their people. So it's not necessarily the number that kind of blows me away when it comes to this type of prayer. But look at what Jesus is asking for. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. 
The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. May be one. United. It really is difficult. When, when we have a movie night at my family, you know, at, at our home, I will start asking the family, so what do you want to watch? And I have one movie here and one movie over there. We can't be united on the movie we watch. Okay, where do you guys want to go eat? Restaurant here, restaurant. We can't be united on the restaurant that we go to. And here's Jesus praying for all disciples, for all of, all of those that, that, that are his followers and saying, I want them to be united, to be one, perfectly one. Do you understand the magnitude of this prayer? And I just think, Jesus, I know, I know you're God. But this is huge. This is a huge ask. So what does it mean to be united? Because I, I, I have to wonder, when you think of all the denominations out there, and you think, honestly, of all the contention that we have between denominations and churches, have we missed the boat? Has the prayer of Jesus been ineffective? There is an organization, many of you are probably familiar with this, this organization is called the World Council of Churches. It was formed in 1948. It's an ecumenical organization. And the World Council of Churches describes itself as a worldwide fellowship of 349 global, regional, and sub-regional, national, and local churches seeking unity, a common witness in Christian service. I think the World Council of Churches started out with the best of intentions. I think... They have gone off the rails in some areas. But I think they probably started out with really good intentions because this is their statement of faith. The World Council of Churches is a fellowship of churches which confess the Lord Jesus Christ as God and Savior according to the Scriptures and therefore seek to fulfill together their common calling to the glory of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is a community of churches on the way to visible unity in one faith and one Eucharistic fellowship expressed in worship and in common life in Christ. It seeks to advance toward this unity as Jesus prayed for his followers so that the world may believe. This is it, right? All we have to do is join this organization. If we all join this organization, because it sounds like a really good statement of faith, something we can all get behind, right? So let's just sign up. And if we all sign up, no matter if you're Baptist, Methodist, it doesn't matter. We're going to show the world that we're united because we signed this. I don't think that's what Jesus is praying for, though. I don't think it's simply an adherence to a statement of faith, to a world organization or to a denomination or even to a local body, although certainly that could be part of it. I think it's much more than that. And so we're going to look at the nature of this unity. And Jesus is pretty explicit about what this means when he states it. He says, all of them, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one even as we are one. Even as we are one. Can you just hold on to that statement for a minute? We like to say mull it, just mull it over, right? Just mull it. Even as we are one. Think about what Jesus is asking. That we be united in the same way that the Father and Son and Holy Spirit are united. That's powerful. And you wonder, is it even possible? 
Obviously, it's possible. Jesus is not going to pray for something that's not possible. Christ prays for a supernatural unity that is modeled and enabled by the Godhead. This unity is possible because true believers are united in the core of our beings by His Spirit. Each and every single one of us, right? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been born again, you have his spirit. And all of us have experienced this. When you meet someone, maybe for the first time, and you don't even talk about, uh, you know, being a, a Christian follower of Jesus, you just sense it. You just sense in your spirit, this is a brother, this is a sister. And then through the course of conversation, you find out, yes, I knew it. How did we know it? Because we're united. Because we are in Christ together. It's supernatural. It's, it's hard to explain, right? But that is the reality of who we are. United as one. And Paul gives us a, a great picture of what it looks like to live out this unity. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul wants all believers to conduct our lives in a way that is in keeping with the gospel. Now, that's more than just the gospel proper, right? Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again, sits at the Father's right hand. Believe that and you will be saved. That's the gospel proper, right? We're sinners. We need him. We need his atoning work. But to live out the gospel is so much more than that. It's everything the good news means for those that have been set free from the bondage of sin. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been born again, hear me, brother and sister, you have been set free from the bondage of sin. You have been set free. That is gospel truth. You've been set free and now are free to live as Christ intended and desires for you to live. We are now free to have the power by his spirit to become like Christ. To follow him, learn from him, to start to think and act like him. To start to live and love like Jesus. That's called being conformed to the image of Christ, right? That's this process of sanctification. That's called being a disciple. And some of these marks, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, it is in these ways and many others. Many of the one another's, right, that we, that we love in the New Testament. We're to be conduits of God's grace and mercy as we live these out to one another. Conduits of grace and mercy to one another. But he also states that we are to be eager to maintain the unity. To maintain something means that you have achieved it, Right? And for those of you in here that have achieved a really high GPA, for instance, like a 4.0, you worked hard, right? You worked hard to achieve that. And so you want to maintain it. You want to do whatever you can to make sure that you keep that 4.0 or whatever it is, 2.3, whatever that is, all right? You want to work hard to maintain that. Because you achieved it by hard work. Brothers and sisters, this unity that we have is not something that we achieve in our own strength. It's not something that we have pursued and gained in our own strength. It's not like a GPA. You work hard. You study hard. 
You earn the 4.0 or whatever it is. Our unity is not gained, was not gained by any work that we did. It was gained by the blood of Jesus. We need to understand that and we need to remember that. So we are to be eager to maintain our unity. Eager to maintain what has already been accomplished for us. Please understand that it is so important because it is a reality that we are united in Christ. What does that mean? Scripture talks a lot about what that means. Here's a few verses. Believers are created in Christ, crucified with him, buried with him, buried with him, baptized into Christ in his death, united with him in his resurrection, seated with him in the heavenly places. Christ is formed in believers, dwells in our hearts. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is in us. We are in him. The church is one flesh with Christ. Believers gain Christ and are found in him. So do you see what I mean? This isn't something that we have achieved. This is something that was achieved for us. We are united in Christ. So then the question that we must answer for ourselves, are we manifesting this positional unity that we have in Christ, right? You understand positional unity, right? It's ours. It's our, it's our birthright. It's our inheritance because we have been born anew. And we are now creation, new creations in Christ. We are part of the body of Christ positionally. This is who we are. This is where we are. But are we living out what it means to be new creations in Christ? I think the most natural place to live it out or to, to manifest what Scripture is calling us to is within the context of the local body, right? We have two local manifestations here of the body of Christ, Center Church, Cross Life Community Church. And the most natural way that we live out what it means to be united, to be in the body of Christ, is within these local manifestations, right? Because we have common beliefs, values, purpose, and vision. There are things that are, that are specific too. We all have, as, 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 as a, a, a Christ-following, gospel-centered, Bible-believing churches, there is a mission that we are all on, right? And Jesus has given, that, that, given us that mission, disciples, to make disciples. But there are things that are specific and peculiar to a particular local body. We understand that. That's what makes us a little different. And it's around those things oftentimes that we come together and we unite around to go forward. And so it's in these local bodies that we are consistently getting together, right? For Sunday morning worships or our community groups and life groups and, and discipleship groups and those types of things. We come together and we're spending a lot of time with one another and that is absolutely beautiful and it is good and at the same time, it causes major issues. What do I mean by that? The more we get together, guess what? The more we get to know one another. The more you get to see the ugliness that I like to hide, right? The more I get to see the things in you that you would rather hide as well. And so we start to really get to know one another. What is it? I can't remember who said this, but he said, um, the, the greatest fear of man is to not be known, is to not be known and to be known. Does that make sense? We all want to be known by people. We want to have relationships. But on the flip side of that, as we get to know people and people get to know us, we're, we're afraid, we're fearful that they're not going to like what they see. Brothers and sisters, let's just put those fears aside because guess what? We're all sinners. But praise God, that's not where it ends. We are part, we are united in the body of Christ. 
We are brothers and sisters, and that's a beautiful thing. So we can let the pretenses fall. We can stop pretending and performing. We are all, we're all pretty good at that, aren't we? We don't have to do that. Because we're united in Christ, we are family. When you're around your family, you know, you're, you go home for Christmas and that type of thing, right? You're yourself, right? They know you. And you know they're going to continue to love you. So you dress a certain way, you eat certain things, you say certain things, or that type of thing. Just kind of very relaxed, right? You're yourself. When we come together... When we truly start to understand that, we're identi- that we are, that our identity is in Christ, that we're united in Christ, we have the freedom to start becoming ourselves and, and to allow people into our lives and get into their lives so that we can start loving one another in the way that Christ desires for us to love one another. Again, without pretense. But because we do spend a lot of time together, we start to get a little irritated with one another. We start to maybe form little cliques, even within local bodies, because this group of people identify a little bit more with. That group of people, they're a little strange, so I'm just going to stay here. The fact is, that's true, and Paul knows it's true because we're sinners. We are redeemed, we are washed by the blood of Jesus, but we are sinners, and that's why he calls us to the things I read earlier, to be humble, patient, bearing with one another in love. And he says, eager, to maintain the unity. If you look around, we represent a lot of walks of life in this room. A lot of diversity. Not as much diversity, honestly, as I would love to see in the body of Christ. What have we heard? Sunday morning is the most segregated time in America. I would love to see more diversity when it comes to race and nationality and socioeconomic and all of those types of things. Because the ground is level at what? The foot of the cross, right? So I would love to see that kind of diversity. But the fact is there's a lot of diversity, period. Because we have our own stories, right? We're, we're coming at life from our, from, from our story and from things we've experienced, the things we've gone through, all of those types of things. And when you start to peel back the layers, we start to realize in some ways how different we are. That there's a lot of diversity when it comes to where we're coming from. You know, we use the term stories. We can also use the term baggage. We bring some baggage as well. But diversity is beautiful. Think about it. Around the throne of God one day, there will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. I don't know about you, but I look forward to that day. That is going to be a glorious day. Because when we're there, that means sin is no more. Sin has been defeated. Satan has been defeated. What a glorious day that will be. So diversity is a good thing. It's a part of God's plan. But let's be honest. Diversity can oftentimes be a barrier to unity. That is why Paul said it's imperative that we fight for the unity that is already ours in Christ. What does this look like? I think there's a lot of aspects to this, right? But I think one is it begins with an understanding that our unity grows out of a commitment to our community. A commitment that is born out of an understanding that the people we gather with are more than just people who happen to choose the same local church that I did. No. 
we need to start with this understanding that we are united in Christ. We are one body. This is not just some fanciful use of words that we, that we just kind of throw around. It is reality of the body of Christ. And we share one spirit. So when we gather together, Cross Life Church, Center Church, we gather as the body of Christ. When we gather separately, when you guys are back in your, your building next week and we're here in this building, guess what? We're still the body of Christ. We're just meeting in different locations. But let's stay focused on the local body for just a moment more. Because the unity that Christ desires for his church to experience comes when we commit to one another. I mean really commit. Not just for an hour or so on Sunday mornings, but get involved in people's lives. I know you guys have, uh, 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 what do you have? Community groups and D groups and we have life groups and those types of, we have all of those things, right? And those are good and they are, they are beneficial. We need to be committed to those types of things, to getting involved in people's lives. Because I think it's one of the main tools that God uses for our transformation to become more like Christ. He uses community, the local body, smaller groups within the local body, those types of things for our sanctification. I love this quote by Bob Thune. He says, the agent of sanctification is the Holy Spirit and the tool of sanctification is the truth of the gospel and the context of sanctification is community. I think he's right. I had a, a conversation this past week with someone and we were talking about, and he was, he was kind of ranting to me a little bit about, about this language that we use uh, oftentimes. Oh, we're just broken people, you know. We're just gathered together. We're all just broken, right? We're broken. So we just want to love on one another. Uh, I, we get it, right? We get that kind of terminology. We understand what, what, what people are saying when they say that. But the fact is we're all sinners. I mean, that is reality, Right? That is the reality, that we are all sinners. But God has, God has given us one another to be fellow combatants. So let, let's not stay there in that place where we just continually think, I'm just a broken, you know, I'm just, you know, you hear the, the, the term, I'm, I'm, just a, I'm, just a, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, and when we say that, and that is, that is true, we are sinners saved by grace, but oftentimes that comes across, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And so there's no victory in that, right? We think that I'm just a sinner saved by grace, so I'm just going to kind of muddle along here. I'm just going to kind of make it, right? And so we have this idea that I'm just broken. I'm just going to make it from day to day. And that's not what God wants for us. That's not the kind of victory that he wants for us to live by the power of his spirit every single day. Are we broken? Yes. Are we sinners? Yes. But we have been saved by grace. And we have his spirit within us to empower us to live the life that he's called us to live, brothers and sisters. And I think one of the tools that he uses is, is again, within this context of the local, commu uh, local community, coming together, living life, being fellow combatants, as I said, Having victory of the enemy of self, self-reliance, self-sufficiency, self-protection, self-importance, self-will. And there are so many other battles that we can face together, right? When it comes to broken marriages and homes, when it comes to sickness and disease and contentious work relationships and so much more. We do live in a broken world. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. And these battles that we face are not easy. 
and our desire to allow others to see the ugliness in our own lives or to engage in the struggles of another begins with a love for Jesus. Loving Him and loving His church like He does. As we have victory, we will become more unified as the body of Christ, as we see His power working in us, as we have victory over sin, as we see brothers and sisters see, seeing the power of God work in them, seeing Him being glorified through people being changed for His glory. That's a beautiful thing. And we, we will be more united coming together as we have victory together. Because anytime you have victory, anytime you walk down hard paths with one another, paths with one another, or go through something hard with one another, it unites you. When you have a common vision, a common purpose, and you come together and it's hard and you're struggling, it unites you. Brothers and sisters, we have a common vision, we have a common purpose. We're going to get to that in a moment. But we have to go through a lot of things together. And a lot of things can take us away from our unity if we allow them to. That's why we have to fight for it. That's why we have to get involved in people's lives. That's why we can't shy away when things start to get difficult. Things get a little ugly. Things get a little more inconvenient than I had planned for. So maybe I won't. I don't think he leaves that option open to us. Not if we're going to be eager to maintain the unity that he has given to us as the body of Christ. So this kind of coming together, this kind of working through, fighting, combating these kind of battles together does happen at the local level because of the closeness of relationship and again, the common purpose and vision. But now think about the, the, the larger Christian community, okay? Josh and I are, are part of something called the Charlottesville Pastors uh, Fellowship and, and, and I love this group of men. Uh, I love us coming together and why we come together and that this grew out of a difficult time in our community all of you remember what happened a couple of years ago august 12 2017 with actually three people losing their lives many people injured all of those types of things and it grew out of a desire to support one another as we as we lead our churches through these difficult times in our history not only from two years ago but as we continue going forward the challenges that our culture presents to us followers of jesus and what I have seen in, in the Charlottesville Pastors Fellowship is incredibly encouraging. And it's quite the opposite of what Mark Twain thought of when representatives from various denominations come together. Twain used to say he put a dog and a cat in a cage together as an experiment to see if they could get along. They did. So we put in a bird, pig, and goat. They too got along fine after a few minor adjustments. Then he put in a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a Methodist. And soon there was not a living thing left. I don't think Twain had a very high view of denominations. Thankfully, I have met many pastors from other denominations, and I have lived to tell the tale. There are many godly pastors that I have gotten to know, and I'm, I'm so thankful for that. We have a deep desire to be united as the church, the body of Christ. Does that mean that we're lockstep in all of our beliefs? No, it doesn't. But from what I can tell, they believe the core essentials of the gospel and we are growing in unity. And that's just a subset of the pastors that are here in Charlottesville. There's much, much good has come out of our time together. I think Pastor Josh would agree with that. 
not least of which is the way we view each other in our churches and denominations. We desire to see that grow into further unity within the Christian community in Charlottesville and certainly beyond. And we tend, and maybe, maybe it's just pastors, we tend to look at other churches as competition. Now we know it's wrong, and we know it's sinful. And when we start to feel that coming up in us, we repent and we confess. Because we don't want to see churches, not Bible-believing, gospel-centered churches, we never want to see them as competition. We want to see them as, as fellow participants on the same team, right? Kingdom workers, as we desire to make Christ known, exalt the name of Jesus. But we're sinners. And so that kind of starts to come up every once in a while. So you have to tamp it down by his spirit, his power. But we also, and I think this may be true for, for Christians in general, we oftentimes look at other denominations with suspicion. Or maybe worse. A spirit of cynicism has, I think, taken hold in many of us when we think of those outside our tribe. And let's just be honest. If we were going to be united as one, as Jesus prays, we're going to have to kill this form of cynicism that lies in our hearts. We have to. There is no way that we're going to be united as one body in Christ if we do not kill that. So the question is, when you, when you meet someone, maybe it's a neighbor of yours, a co-worker, another soccer parent, and it comes up that you attend church, both of you attend churches, and they say that they attend a church, and you instantly realize, oh, that's this denomination, a different denomination. What, what's your response? And I'm not talking about what... what what do you keep on your face? I'm talking about what's in your heart. How do you internally respond when they say whatever denomination? Now, they may say if you're of that same denomination, you don't think anything. Oh, wonderful. But what is different? What if this is strange denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance? That's a wonderful denomination, by the way, if you don't know that. But really, we hear, I mean, especially if it's a denomination, maybe we haven't heard a lot about or, or maybe we've heard some things about and that type of thing. What happens in our hearts? What do we think? When I counsel, I oftentimes counsel husbands and wives, and you can tell over time there have been these filters that have been put in place, right? And so no matter what is said, the other is going to take it as a negative. They're always going to think there was something they meant by that. They, uh, that's not really what they meant. They said something nice, but that's not really what they meant. They were never willing to give the benefit of the doubt. No, 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 this is really what I meant. I meant something kind by this because they have built all these filters up. And so I encourage them. I said, listen, listen, when your spouse says something to you, please assign noble intent. Believe the best in them, about them. Give them the benefit of the doubt. And I think sometimes, well, I know this is true. We must brothers and sisters, become better at recognizing our filters and start assigning noble intent to our brothers and sisters from other churches and denominations. To start believing that these fellow believers were saved by the same atoning work of Jesus Christ, washed by the same blood and love Jesus like you do and want to see his name exalted. I know many Methodists and Baptists and Lutherans and Anglicans and so forth that love Jesus are passionate about Jesus. Let's be careful about the filters that we have. Now, are these differences trivial? Not at all. 
But we must, if we desire to be obedient and to live up to Jesus' prayer, we must be charitable toward one another and rejoice in the common bond we have in Christ. If you're having a child, and I'm going to just say this. In the first service, I was told I had about 30 minutes. Guess what? We're in the second service. There's nothing after this. So I might go 35. Forgive me. If you're thinking about babies' names, right? Oh, I'm going to have a baby someday. Looking forward to that. And you're kind of making your list of the names that you want your child, you know, boy or girl. These list, right? You might want to go ahead and jot this name down for consideration. Rupartus Meldinius. <laughs> Rupartus Meldinius said this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. I love this quote. It may be too gracious of a statement for some, but I do love the spirit of the statement. So we pursue unity within the local body of Christ. We pursue unity with the broader body of Christ. But to what end? Right? Because when everything happened here a couple of years ago in Charlottesville, there was a lot of talk about unifying, coming together, unity, and those types of things. And that's, that's a good thing. And so please don't hear me say anything negative about that type of talk. It's, it's a good thing. It can be a good thing. But the question is, what are we unifying around? What are we being united about? Because we can unify, we can be in unity around the wrong things, can't we? All of us have heard the stories about churches. Then you have these factions that grow up within the church. And this one group is united behind this idea that they want red carpet. And this other church, this other group within the church is united around this fact that they want brown carpet. And what happens? The exact opposite of what Jesus is praying for. He prays for us to be united as one. And then because of the color of carpet, you have a church split or implode. We've heard those stories, right? I'm not making this up. This happens. As ridiculous as it is, it happens. For us, Center Church, Cross Life Community Church, for us to be united, we must be united around the right things. As the body of Christ, we must be united around the right things things we must be sure of what we are united behind we must be sure of its source of its views of its affections and its aims and what do i mean by that well let me unpack these very quickly for you we are not going to spend much time on this what is the source of our unity christ himself god himself he is the source of our unity if we are trying to be unified behind anything else, a cause or anything else or anyone else, we are going to fail miserably. Our unity is found in God. Ephesians, Paul, Paul tells us this. I'm just going to read this verse and, and just let this sit with you as far as a source of our unity. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. 
which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Our unity, the source of our unity, is found in Christ himself. Now what are the views? What, would, what must we believe to be united in the way that we should be united? Now a lot can be said about this, but I think we have to be careful. Because sometimes we, we're, we're apt to just kind of glom things on to things that we need to believe to be truly united. And I don't think Scripture does that. We can be in good fellowship and we can be united if, as we, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, does believe this. We believe that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And again, as Paul says in Romans 10, 9, and that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there's a lot more, right? Christian theology, doctrine is rich. It's glorious. But for us to be united as one in Christ, not just positionally, but as we move forward in mission, this is kind of the core, isn't it? The core of what we must believe. So there is much more that could be said that helps us to be unified, but it is never less than these truths that we just read. Our affections, our worship is on Christ. John 17, 26, we, we read 20 through 23 today, but this is 26. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may, may be in them, and I in them. D.A. Carson said this about that verse. He said, this is breathtakingly extravagant. And I think he's spot on when we really dig in and mull it and we think about this verse and really what Jesus is praying for because the foundation of any unity that we may hope to realize is based on our love for Jesus, period. It's not based on how much we love our church. It's not based on how much, in, how much involvement we have and all the different things. No, no, no. It's based on our love for Jesus. Let's never get that confused. And if we don't love and pursue unity out of that love, then we are brothers and sisters chasing after wind. Listen to what he is saying. Here's the Pastor Todd version. The same love that you have for me, Father, give them that same kind of love for me. Do you hear what he's saying? Father, the same love that you have for me, give them that same kind of love for me. It is easy for us to say, I love Jesus, isn't it? And I think if I were to go through here and, and talk to you, brothers and sisters, do you love Jesus? I love Jesus, yes. But Jesus is saying, Father, I want to take it to a different level because I desire for them to love me with the same kind of intensity, the same kind of passion, the same kind of love that you have for me. Can you imagine? That's what he's praying for us. Because Jesus knows when we grow in that kind of love for him, truly grow in that kind of love, and are not just going through the motions of the Christian life, when we are growing in our love and devotion to him, it bursts forth, doesn't it? It can't be maintained. It bursts forth. And it, it, it's, 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 
it impacts those around us, everyone, our friends, our family, our co-workers, everyone that's around us, if we love Jesus in the way the Father loves Jesus. We can't maintain that. We can't control that. Burst forth in the love and affection for others, giving us the ability, as Scripture says, to love one another with brotherly affection. And the sincere brotherly love that comes from an earnest and pure heart. Our affections for the body of Christ. Hear me. Our affections for the body of Christ can never be separated from our love for Christ. And what are the aims? All right, here we are. Some of you guys have been wondering, when is he going to get to the purpose of our unity? When is he going to get to that point? So if you've kind of been daydreaming a little bit, if you've kind of been... Bring it back, all right? Just bring it back, come on. Because this is the purpose of everything that has been said today. He tells us twice, so it's his primary reason in this unity, right? 21b says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 23b, so that the world may know that you sent me. Why are we to be united why are we to come together in common purpose? Why are we to, to not just understand our positional unity in the body of Christ, to understand that we are united with him, and therefore we are united one, with one another? Not only are we just to understand this intellectually, but we're to live it out. We're to live it out, what that means, showing love, concern, showing being humble, being patient, all of these types of things, right? Extending grace and mercy in a way that the world doesn't see and in a way that can only be exemplified by a people that are in love by Jesus in love with Jesus and are being empowered by his spirit that's why we must pursue the unity that is already ours so that people will know this is different and they will believe us when we say i follow Jesus i'm born again he has done something new in me let me tell you about this Jesus. And they listen to us. Because let me tell you, for a lot of people, UVA students, for a lot of the students at the, on the campus, Jesus isn't even in the realm of probability for them. Right? That's just, he's just too far out there. And if we live our lives the way the rest of the world lives their lives, guess what? And then we got to start to talk to people about Jesus and they're not seeing anything different. We're not helping the case. So Jesus is saying, don't live like that. Pursue unity. Pursue the life that I've called you to live. Love one another in the way that the Father loves me, in the way that I love you. Exemplify that same kind of love toward one another. And when you do that, people are going to pay attention. They can't ignore it. That's what Jesus is saying. That the world may know He goes on in 23b, you just, you have to get this. So that the world may know that you sent me. And then he says this, and love them even as you loved me. Did you get that? And love them even as you loved me. What is he saying here? Father, I want them to get this. They need to understand this. That, that, that your love is not just something abstract. 
that the reality of the love that you have for me, Father, he is saying, I want them to understand you love them in the same way. I hope you understand. I think D.A. Carson would, would assign the same thing. This is, this is beautifully extravagant when it comes to him explaining the love that the Father has for him, he has for us, and he wants us to understand that. So as we live out what it means to be Christ followers, as we seek to love one another, as we have been loved and continue to be loved by our God every day, as we live this out, engaging the not yet believing around us and inviting them to share our lives and our community, they will see something different. A love and a unity that is unlike anything else in the world. And if we truly pursue by the power of His Spirit, and that's important. Don't try to do this in your own strength. You will fail miserably. If we truly pursue this by the power of His Spirit to live this out, the world will take notice and will see not the number of denominations, and churches that are out there, but rather they will see a purchased people who are living out what we say we believe and pursuing the one we say we believe in. Manifesting His glory that has been shown to us, His goodness, grace, mercy. We are to manifest this to the world around us. And as we together experience the reality of the love of Christ in the real situations of life, not the hypotheticals, because we all have real situations that we're going through. And as we together experience the reality of the love of Christ in the real situations of life, and as we share that creative love with those around us by this modeling of the love of Christ, then the world is drawn to consider the meaning and the immenseness of His love. And by God's grace, begin to experience that same love as a son and daughter of the living God. Our aim is to make Christ known. Not to bolster our own denominations or our own churches, but to help our friends, to help our families, our co-workers, our fellow students, our neighbors, to help the world know as Paul ends up Ephesians Four, as far as what we were reading earlier, one through three, four through six, he says this. We are to help the world know that there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I'm going to ask that you stand. And some of you guys may feel uncomfortable raising your hands. And I'm just asking you right now, don't. Because we're family. Because we are the body of Christ. We are united as one. So think of yourself in your mom and dad's living room at home for Christmas. And you could just be yourself. Because we are one big family here. Because I'm going to ask you to pray three things right now. So go ahead and just close your eyes. Close your eyes. And just listen to what I'm saying. First, I just want you to hold your hands out like you're receiving something. Hold your hands out like you, you want to receive something. And I'm asking you to go to the Father and believe He loves you with the same love that He has for His Son. I want you to receive that now. 
Some of you have a hard time believing that, G, that, that the Father loves you deeply. That he loves you, that he loves you so much that your sins have been forgiven. And what I'm asking you to do is just hold out your hand and receive this love this morning because that's what Jesus was praying for. He, his prayer was that we would believe, that we would receive, and that we would understand that we are loved in the same way that the Father loves him. So I'm asking you this morning, if you're struggling with that, if, if you are having a hard time wrapping your mind around it, don't try to wrap your mind around it in your own strength. Go to the Father and say, Father, please, by the power of your Spirit, help me to understand this. Help me to receive this love that you have for me that is beyond anything I can imagine. And now what I want you to ask you to do is take your hands from kind of this receiving position and I just want you to add, lift them up like you're praising God. Just lift them straight up. And I want to ask you to ask him to give you the same love that he has for his son. Because there's probably some in here this morning that are feeling like you're maybe in a desert place. And you say those words and you say, I love Jesus. But when you say it, they sound hollow to you. Some of you say those words and you believe them with all of your heart and praise God. You, you love him. You're pursuing him. You're living for him. But all of us need to receive this promise that Jesus was praying, that the Father would help us to love him, the Son, in the same way that the Father loves him. So with our hands raised high this morning, we're asking, Father God, help us please to receive this kind of love, to understand this kind of love, and to love Jesus in the same way. And now what I want you to do is just, just reach out in front of you, to the side of you, and just on their shoulder, just touch arm, touch the person beside you. And now what I want you to do is ask God, please ask him, Father, please. I'm not asking for anything that's extravagant or, 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 or outside of, of what's appropriate because my Lord and my Savior prayed this same thing. Ask that he would give you a deep love for the church. A deep love for the church. That he would give you an eagerness to maintain the unity that is ours in Christ. And that he would give you a desire to pursue it for his glory and for his honor, so that the world may know, so that indeed the world may believe that you have been sent, so that the world may know, Lord Jesus, that you are Lord over all. Use us to that end for your glory and your honor. That is our prayer today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.